Well, good morning. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Um, you can tell it's in the new year, right? Because all of the, uh, here, I'll take that, I guess. All the ads have to do with like trying to lose weight or uh, getting organized, uh, financially responsible, all those things that we start out here at the beginning of the year. And um, last week, we talked a little bit about what is it, what would it look like to think about what, where do I want to grow spiritually this year? And, uh, and then this, for the month of uh, January, I want us to take a look at what does it mean for us as a church to flourish? That's kind of the word that's really come to my mind as I was praying about what I want our church to think about. And, and individually, I, I really hope that each of us flourishes individually too, in every way. But mostly I want us to think about what does it mean to flourish spiritually for us? And it, it kind of comes out of, um, of Jeremiah 17, which is a really great little section of scripture where the, the prophet uh, says this, um, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And, and here's what I'm thinking. My, my desire as a pastor is that you would, you would learn what it means and you would experience what it means. He's crawling now, huh? That's, that's great. Is what it means to, he is a fast crawler. He is really, is uh, what does it mean to flourish? And from this scripture that what Jeremiah says, that flourishing comes when a tree puts its roots down deep to a stream. And I believe that we as individuals flourish when we put the roots of our life down deep into the word of God and into the Holy Spirit. That is what it means for us to flourish. And that's what it means for a church to flourish. That we put the roots of our, of our church down deep into the word of God and into the Holy Spirit. And that that's when you then flourish. Is that's what it means to flourish for us as a church. Another scripture that really that grabbed me this fall, you know, in the, in the mornings, most mornings, I'll get up and I'll, I'll try to spend some time with the Word of God and I write about it and I journal about it a little bit. And I, just on my own, I was going through the book of Ephesians and I got to Ephesians chapter 5 and, and it, it's really, mostly people talk about Ephesians 5, this section about having to do with husbands and wives and that is what it's about, about all of that, but then we read this in, in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So right before this, it talked about how wives are to submit to their husbands, and we get into a big controversy about what does that mean and all that, but I'm just going to say this. So guys, it says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and he died for the church. So husbands, we are to die for our wives, okay? But what Jesus is really trying to get to us here is this is really about the church, this section. Yeah, there's something about husbands and wives, but then he goes on and says that he gave himself up for the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
And what grabbed me that morning was that word radiant. Isn't that a great word? That that's what Christ wants his church to be known as. That we, as Baseline Church, are radiant. And we're a part of the bigger church that is radiant. And so I, I looked up a little bit. What does this word radiant mean? And it means radiating rays or reflecting beams of light vividly bright and shining or glowing or marked by expressive marked by or expressive of love confidence or happiness and that that's what Christ desires his church to be reflecting these beams of light to the world um, marked by expressions of love and confidence and happiness that that is who we should be that Christ desires baseline community church to be radiant. I just continued to ask myself, what does that mean? What does it mean for us as a church to flourish? What does it mean for us to be radiant? And I really believe this is God's desire for the church, to be radiant and to flourish. And so we're going to, in, in the month of January, we're going to take a look at our vision statement. We're going to take a look at who we are as a church. And my desire and my hope is that by the end, as we go through these on the four Sundays in January, that we will say, yes, this is the church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that's growing and radiant. I want to be a church, help be a part of the church that's flourishing. I see where I fit in this church. I see what I bring to help the church become all that it is supposed to be. That's what we're going to do. So I don't know if you've noticed, on our new bulletin, we have these new bulletins, there's not room for the vision statement on here anymore, okay? There's no room for it, which is just fine, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to memorize it, all right? Okay, since there's no room on the bulletin, we're going to memorize it. It's not going to be that hard. Okay, so here it is. God's vision for Baseline Community Church is to grow disciples who authentically follow Jesus Christ so that our communities are transformed. And really, my desire over the next four years is, four weeks, not years, four weeks, is that you will memorize this, this, this vision statement. And that it'll, not only that's something that you know intellectually, but you'll, it'll become a part of who you are. If people ask you, hey, what's your church about? Hey, you know what? Our church is about growing disciples to authentically follow Jesus so that our communities are transformed. And, and this is where this vision statement, it came about 10 years ago. With, through the staff and elders really praying about who do we want to be as a church and really worked this through. And we, and we realized that any vision for a church has to be bigger than just us coming up with it. It had to be God infusing it in us, God bringing it out of us. So that's why we started out with the idea that it's God's vision for Basin Community Church. And, and then to grow disciples, that, that becoming a disciple often is, is more organic and not everything is done the same way and it's you can't cookie-cutter disciples, but that people grow as disciples. And we want to have people that really authentically follow Jesus. We don't, it's not a fake thing, but when, when things are tough, we're willing to say, hey, things are hard, but I'm still following Jesus. When things are good, we're like, yeah, I'm experiencing great joy, and I'm following Jesus. But we're able to be real with each other and authentically following after him. It's not a fake thing. Not putting on a good face for everybody, but it's being real with each other. 
Okay? That's what the, the elders and the staff really wanted. But it all is done, and we have to first become disciples of Jesus before we can change anything. Before any transformation can happen anywhere else, it happens to happen first in our own lives. But then we want to live in such a way that we do change our communities. And by community, we mean, hey, your, your family, or it could be where you live, or it could be where you work. It, we really believe it's we're all around the world where our missionaries are, that we are a part of helping transform those communities. But that's what the church has to be about. So we'll memorize this. Let's say it all together just to start out. You guys ready? Here we go. God's vision for Baseline Community Church is to grow disciples who authentically follow Jesus Christ so that our communities are transformed. And I hope that becomes a part of who you are, part of what you're a part of here at, at Baseline. So we're going to, um, we're going to look at our, what are really our four core values, and those core values are still on your bulletin. So on the back side where there is the sermon notes, down at the bottom, it says, worship Jesus, love one another, serve together, share the gospel. And, and, and our desire is that, hey, if we do those things, if those are practices that are a part of who we are as a church, a part of who we are as individuals, that we will then be able to do what the vision says. We'll become disciples who are authentically following that we really learn what it means to worship Jesus. We learn what it means to love one another and to serve together and, and to really share the gospel. And here's the thing that happens, is that when you do those things, and, and when you put yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit can change you and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself, you have a greater desire to do those things. So not only is it something we do, but it's also an outcome of really being a disciple. That as we grow as a disciple, we, we want to worship Jesus more and more. We, we want to love those who are around us more and more. We want to serve more. We want to share this gospel. So it's also an outcome of what God wants to do within us, I believe. But they are kind of the four values that we want to hold on to, the four core values. And so we'll each week look at one of those core values. So today, the one we're going to look at is, what does it mean to worship Jesus? <clears throat> worship Jesus. You know, we, um, I guess I can kind of tell this little story. So it used to be worship God. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but we changed it to worship Jesus a few years ago. And that was because people had said, you know, worship God, love one another, serve together. Any, anything can be that. It doesn't have to be Christian. So I said, well, we'll just say worship Jesus. That kind of sets who we are. And we have a, the mensch of our family is, is a part of this, our church. They come to second service usually. They have, um, Adriana was in, in kindergarten and was learning to read. And one of the sight words that she learned was God. And she came to church and noticed our bulletin and said, Mommy, they took God out of the bulletin. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, God is still in there. It's just named Jesus, okay? So that's what that means. It was kind of funny, I thought, that she noticed that's great. But what does it mean to worship Jesus? 
It's an expression of reverence and adoration to God. Uh, an old definition from Webster's, I saw this in something somebody had written, is a really great one, is worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. You see, what we've done in our culture, especially in the church culture, is that we think that worship means just singing some songs to Jesus or getting together on a, at a worship service where we sing and do all that. But really, worship is so much deeper than that, right? It is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission to the person you're worshiping. And that can be singing sometimes, but there's so much more to it than just that. So we am going to just ask ourselves a couple questions here today. And the first one is this, is why do we worship Jesus? And ultimately, we worship Jesus in response to who he is. That's what it means to worship, is in response to who we know Jesus to be, what we experience of him. And then we, we put ourselves in a place of reverence and adoration. We honor him with extravagant love and extreme submission. So to kind of look at this, I want to look at a, um, something that happens in Matthew 14 that's recorded there. And it's a really well-known section of scripture. Uh, Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist has been killed. He then goes with his disciples to try and get away, but the people follow him. So he, they get there, he teaches them for a while, and then he feeds them, he heals them, and then he feeds them. There's 5,000 of them. Then he sends his disciples in a boat across the lake, and, and, it, and it says this in, in verse uh, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, as he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus sends his disciples in the boat, go across the lake. He goes up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And just, just a little sidelight here. We often talk about that we should not only uh, know about Jesus, but also follow the ways of Jesus. Right? If we're going to practice what Jesus does. And this gives us a really interesting, great picture of what he does, is that it was important for him to get alone with his father. In the midst of all that was going on in his life, John the Baptist being killed, trying to get away, but being had crowds around him, feeding and healing and giving and giving and giving, he knew he just needed to get away with his father. So that's a good practice for us to take hold of from time to time, just getting alone and being with the father. Then it says, just before dawn, he starts to walk on the water. We know this story well. He's walking on the water out towards the boat. Uh, one version in one of the Gospels says he intended to just pass by, but he, he stops, and the disciples think that it's a ghost. They're kind of freaking out in the midst of this storm that they're in. They see Jesus on the water. They think it's a ghost. Peter says, hey, Jesus, if that's really you, call me out on the water. And Jesus says, come on. Peter gets out of the boat starts to walk on the water for a while, but then it says he noticed the winds and the waves and he began to sink. And then one of the shortest, greatest prayers of all time is, Lord, save. Doesn't even see me. Just, Lord, save. Jesus reaches down, grabs him, pulls him up and says, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And then verse 32, it says this. 
When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those in the boat who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly are you, are you are the Son of God. You ever imagine what does that look like? What does it mean that they worshipped him? I mean, did Andrew pull out a guitar and they started singing, like, how great thou art, or, you know, whatever? They, what, what, does that, what does that mean? That there they are in the boat, and the word that's used is they are worshiping Jesus, saying, truly you are the Son of God. You see, that's the deeper part of what it means to worship, is to know this Jesus well. And to put yourself in a place where you are uh, putting him up in his rightful place. That's what worship is. It's an attitude of the heart that puts Jesus in the right place. You see, we, we thank Jesus for what he does, but we worship Jesus for who he is. So who is Jesus to you? I wrote down a couple of things. I wrote down, he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. That's what it says about Jesus. That's who he is. Hey, I just want to take, we'll take three minutes here. Get in groups of three or four, people maybe you don't know or whatever, and, and ask, answer this question. Who is Jesus to you? What qualities of Jesus are worthy of worshiping him? All right, you got three minutes. Make sure everybody's in a group if you don't want anybody alone. Do that. All right, why don't we gather back together? So again, this idea that we, we thank God for what he does in our lives, but we worship him for who he is. So just anybody want to shout out just a word or a short phrase of who Jesus is that causes us to worship? He's patient. He's patient. He's almighty. Savior. He's Savior. Unconditional. Unconditional love. 
She's our rock and our foundation. Forgiver. What was that? Creator. What was that? Healer, yes. Stabilizer. He's a genius. Smartest person ever. Yeah. Encourager, yes. Grace. He's friendly. Protector. Thank you. Renewing. He's your friend. He's a counselor. Doctor to your heart. Ooh, I like that. So, so these are all incredible statements of who Jesus is, right? I, these are some of the ones. Yeah, I wrote these down too. He's healer. He's the best teacher. He's powerful. He's gentle. He's courageous. He's compassionate. He one day will return and make everything right. He is the Savior. And so if you really want to learn what it means to worship, you have to get to know Jesus well. You've got to understand who he is and experience him. And that is what then draws us to want to be people who worship. And so that's why we worship. But then how do we worship? John chapter 4, again, is a beautiful picture of what really important part of what it means to worship. It's, it's again, well known. It's Jesus with the woman at the well, right? Jesus is going through uh, Samaria. He starts, stops at a small town called Sychar. He's out outside the city. He's at the well, and his disciples go in to get food. And as he's sitting there, a woman comes. And she's coming in the heat of day to get some water. And he starts a conversation with her because he's friendly. And <laughs> I love that. And he... Um, Starts talking to her about just stuff. Hey, can I have some water? Can you get me some water? He's like, well, how, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman and you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We shouldn't even talk. He goes, well, if you wanted, knew who I was, I could give you living water. She goes, I'd love to have living water. Give me this living water. It's just an incredible conversation that goes on. And then finally, Jesus says, well, why don't you call your husband to come? Well, I don't have a husband. He, he says, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, right? This woman's life has been torn up relationally. And then they start talking about worship. And Jesus says this about worship in verse 23. He says, Yet a time is coming and is now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and when his, wor his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, the discussion was about where's the right place to worship. Is it Jerusalem, or is it this mountain, or where? And Jesus says, hey, the place doesn't matter. What matters most is the condition of your heart. That, that you want to worship, and he says, in spirit and in truth. That we know we worship in the spirit of truth, of truth of who God is, and the truth of who we are. And that that, we worship in truth that way. Knowing God as well as we can. Knowing my own great need. And then we worship in spirit. Because this isn't something just we want to know about Jesus, but the knowledge of Jesus becomes something in us to where we love him greatly from our spirit. That there's an emotional side to this, that there's a, a spiritual connection in worship. That when we realize just how great Jesus is, when we realize all these incredible qualities of who he is, it causes us to worship him deep in our spirit with emotion because of who he is. 
Romans 12 is another short little verse that teaches us how to worship or what it means to worship. Paul writes this in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The version of your Bible that you would have there could also say this is your reasonable service or this is your spiritual worship. The the word that's used there is a word that talks about everything that a priest does in the temple. Everything that a priest does to prepare for worship. And, And Paul says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And what this means is that, is that worship is not just something I do for an hour on a Sunday morning, but, but it actually is my whole life. That, that my whole life can be worship. That, that when we understand who Jesus is, when we understand the place he is supposed to hold in our lives, that my work becomes worship. My, my time in my, with my family becomes worship. My time at school actually becomes worship. That I have placed Jesus first and foremost in every place, and my life becomes worship. That I don't put just a section that this is my worship time, but it's something that encompasses everything of who I am. So just kind of wrapping this up, uh, pastor and writer and author John Piper was asked, what is Christian worship? And he wrote a long blog answer to it, but here's his summary. He says, so here's my summary. This is what he thinks worship is. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. You see, that takes worship to a whole nother level, right? That what worship is, is that as I understand who God is in my heart and my mind, and it becomes something in my heart that that then overflows, that I treasure God, I I praise God, I enjoy Him, I'm satisfied with Him above everything else. And then that shows in the praise from my lips as I might sing, as I might pray, as I might speak about God but it also shows itself in how I, what I do and how I love people, the acts of what that means. So a core value here at Baseline is that we would worship Jesus. And this is only going to be possible as we get to know Jesus through the Word and through the Holy Spirit. As we get a greater understanding of who Jesus is, the qualities of him, And then it becomes something in our heart that then overflows in worship as we sing on a Sunday, as you go out through your days and just acknowledge who Jesus is and by what you do and how you love each other. And we're going to start the year out 
by taking communion together. And communion is a sacrament of the church. It is, is a sacrament of the church to where it is a way for us to really get to know Jesus. To really get to a place where we understand who Jesus is. For when we take the bread and we put it in the juice, we are remembering who he is. We're remembering the depth of his love for us. Remembering the sacrifice he made for you and I. And so when we take communion, we're getting to know Jesus better. We're being reminded of who he is. And that really should become something that wells up in our hearts that then explodes into worship because of what Jesus has done for us. So as the um, three elders who are going to help serve communion today make their way forward, let me pray for us. So Lord, uh, our prayer is that we would know you in such a deep way. That, that we would know you, we would know your love, we would know your compassion, we would know your grace, we would know your justice, we would just know you. And so take this time of communion and uh, sanctify it. Make it a time where we Get to know Jesus in a really deep way. For it is in Jesus' name we pray.